and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Well, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's right, uh, uh, right before 2 Thessalonians, if you're looking for it. All right. So before we get there, though, let me share with you this quick story. So... Just a few hundred feet below the summit of Thunder Mountain in a remote region of Alaska, Malcolm Daly, methodically swinging his ice axe and kicking the crampons into the almost vertical wall of ice, was on what appeared to be the final push to reach the summit. About 15 feet or so, he thought. With no clear place to anchor himself in, Malcolm grasped for the next rock, thinking he was in the clear And you know what's going to happen next, right? At that moment, something gave way. He fell 20 feet, 40 feet, with ice screws ripping out, anchors ripping out of the ice, 100 feet still falling. And right directly below him, but just out of sight, was his climbing partner and good friend, Jim Donini. Jim heard a yell. That's all he could do was hear and react And he watched as ropes began falling towards his face, swirling down on him. He ducked in, and Malcolm came flying by. And on his way by, the teeth of his crampons punctured Jim's right thigh. Something sharp had sliced through the rope. But with just two of the 12 strands left intact, it tightened. Jim had held Michael's fall. Looking down, Jim could see Malcolm dangling about 70 feet or so below him, bloody and unconscious. Once he came to, Malcolm realized that he had shattered several bones in his lower legs and his feet. They were useless. Jim descended down to Malcolm, and instead of trying to take him down the mountain with him out of fear of just causing more injury, he anchored him to a ledge right there on the side of the mountain. And then he descended another 3,000 feet, free solo, down the ice. And just as Jim arrived at the base camp, he heard the sound of an air taxi overhead, which just happened to be flying by that particular valley at that particular time. The pilot was actually a good friend, Paul Roderick. And amazingly, Jim was able to wave him down. Several hours later, the rescue effort began and a helicopter was brought in to save Malcolm. Still on, the mount, still on the mountain, fighting for his life. The rescue leader lowered himself down on the cable, grabbed Malcolm, and they flew away to safety. It's an amazing story of survival for sure. Malcolm and Jim continue, continued to climb for several more years. What could have ended in tragedy turned into a story of hope, courage, that would inspire them to face the next mountain. And here's why I share the story with you today. The picture of friends going up a mountain together, climbing up toward the same goal of reaching the summit is like a spiritual parent and the person that they are discipling. Both of them grow in their spiritual maturity as they move up the discipleship pathway. And when one falls, the other is there as a lifeline. So with that, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Today we're going to be focusing in on verses 7 through 12. And the Apostle Paul writes his letters to the Thessalonians to encourage them and also to correct some false teaching. He's writing to them from Corinth, 
on his second missionary journey as recorded in the book of Acts. And this was around AD 51. Before being forced out of Thessalonica, Paul and Silas spent about a month there sharing the gospel, teaching and preaching. Many Jews and some Gentiles began to follow Jesus. Their time was cut short, however, when some of the Jews became jealous of this new message, this message of Jesus as king, and they formed a mob and exposed them in public, forcing them to escape at night. Later, Paul sends Timothy to minister to the new believers out of deep concern, but Timothy brings back word that amazingly, despite tremendous persecution, the church was doing well. So it's in this infant state where the Apostle Paul writes to encourage believers to continue to imitate his example of following Christ in a hostile environment. In a sense, the Apostle Paul is trying his best to continue discipling from afar to help these spiritual infants grow in their faith, even when he couldn't be there in person. As I was praying about today's sermon, what I was inspired by is the Apostle Paul's language of spiritual mothers and fathers in this passage. And his charge to follow his example of spiritual parenthood speaks to the early church in the first century, but also speaks to Bentry Church in the 21st century. So let me ask you, do you ever feel like your walk with God has gone stale? Do you ever feel like you're stuck in your faith? Well, I believe that the remedy for that is only found in the word of God. And just like our relationships with one another, there's no staying still in your faith. You're either growing, producing fruit, or you're withering like a withering vine. You may have tricked yourself into thinking you could just coast by with your faith life, but no, Jesus has a bigger purpose for you. The title for my sermon today is Spiritual Parenthood. And my main goals are to show you that every disciple needs a more spiritually mature discipler in their life. You and I need a guide an example, a climbing buddy to help us grow into spiritual maturity. At the same time, you and I are called to become spiritual parents. Men need other men and women need other women to disciple them. This is why the church comes together to encourage and equip and teach each other in the faith, to sing and pray together on Sundays, but not just to be together as the church here, but to be sent out from here each week to share the gospel of Jesus outside of these four walls. Remember that aircraft carrier analogy that we like to talk about. Yes, we want you to invite others to church here. Of course we do. But just as important, if not more important, our goal is to build each other up, to be deeply rooted in the faith so that the light of Jesus can shine through us to a dark world. So the question is, do you have a spiritual parent in your life? And not just from your past, maybe you had a spiritual parent before, maybe someone led you to Christ when you were younger, but right now, do you have a spiritual parent that is helping guide you? Who would you say that is? And if you are actively discipling someone else as a spiritual parent, who are they? I want you to be thinking of them as we go through this message today. Now, this familial language is so common throughout the canon of Scripture, all the way from the first chapter of Genesis where God gives the command, the imperative, to be fruitful and multiply. And not just a particular instruction given for the roles of husband and wife, but also teaching on how Christian parents are to disciple their kids to follow the Lord. Here, however, the Apostle Paul is using this language figuratively as he applies it to our church, our spiritual family, spiritual mothers and fathers. 
1 Thessalonians 2.7. We finally got to the verse. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul is reminding the new believers in Thessalonica of their gentleness as they shared the gospel with them. He's telling them, as God is telling us, the manner in which we should act. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. If you know it, you can mumble along with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy. Oh, skip joy, sorry. Let's try again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, as all mothers here know, both biological and adoptive moms, that they know that there is no, nothing like the incredible bond and connection that exists between mother and child. If there's anything like love at first sight, this is it. Moms in the room, you know this to be true, right? In the ancient world, nursing mothers were often hired to feed the children of other mothers. For example, in the Old Testament, Moses' mom, Jochebed, was a nursing mom. And this is kind of similar to midwives that we have today. And there's this strong connection there between the nursing mom and the child that they're nursing, for sure. But there's an even deeper connection made with that nursing mom and her own children. You see, there's simply nothing a mother wouldn't do to care for, to nourish, and protect their kids. It's this type of gentleness, this softness, this deep care that we are to embody when we go and make disciples. In the Greek, the term taking care means to keep warm, to cherish with tender love, to foster with tender care. 1 Peter 2.2 Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. A new believer, or what we call a spiritual infant, needs this kind of relationship with nurturing, patient disciples. Someone more mature in the faith that comes alongside them to tenderly guide them, to watch over them, and nurture them with pure spiritual milk, which is the right teaching of the Word of God. A newborn's life, as we know, is completely dependent on others. From the moment of conception and for years after they're born, they need protection and nurturing just to survive. In the same way, someone immature in their faith, which can be at any age, is dependent on God, the Holy Spirit, and fellow believers in their spiritual development. But beyond that, every believer, no matter how mature you are in the Lord, needs others to sharpen them in their faith. We follow in the footsteps of the apostles who preached the full truth and full grace, the full counsel of scripture, wherever they went. The apostle Paul never softened the truth of the gospel, but he delivered it with love and kindness. As Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love. He always cared for those he ministered to. So here's our first point you can write down. The spiritual parent is a gentle parent. Spiritual parent is a gentle parent. And not only are we to be gentle with the less mature believers, but we are to be gentle with everyone else too. The spiritual parent also needs to practice this gentleness for themselves to be able to grow into the fullness of spiritual maturity. In 2 Timothy 2.24, the Apostle Paul says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. The spiritual fruit of, of um, gentleness should permeate, permeate 
our relationships with fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, and also with unbelievers. Let me ask you this. How are you showing gentleness with others? Are you careful with how you respond to others when you're upset or when you're tired? Are you forgiving others the way Jesus forgave us? Are you loving others the way Christ loves you? Listen, it's not easy to be gentle, especially when you feel like you've been wronged by someone else. But we need to pray that God would soften our hearts to be able to see the needs of others, to see their spiritual condition. Our next point is this. The spiritual parent is an eager parent. Spiritual parent is an eager parent. Continuing on with verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. The oldest reading of the Greek implies that this term, affectionately desirous, literally means to connect oneself with another, to be closely attached with another. Now, don't go thinking this is like an elective surgery where you attach yourself, you know, surgically to somebody else. That's not what it means. Um, In case you were wondering, I thought you might be wondering that. Now, this does not mean that. It's a spiritual connection that all believers have within what we call the invisible church, invisible church. The term invisible church simply refers to all those that have received the gift of Christ Jesus, the gospel, throughout the world and throughout time. That's the invisible church. And when followers of Christ gather together, they make the invisible church visible. And if you've gone on one of our mission trips to the Philippines, Africa, or one of the other ones, you've experienced a spiritual connection with brothers and sisters that share the same Holy Spirit inside of them. And you get to witness this life change that happens before your eyes when the gospel is shared and God begins to regenerate people. The Apostle Paul was yearning to be with those he had shared the gospel with, his spiritual children. This is like the longing between family members. And maybe you're like me, you have family members spread all over the country or perhaps around the world. It's really great that we can text, that we can FaceTime each other, talk on the phone, but it's nothing like the in-person hug with a loved one. That in-person proximity is so important to our relationships. The crazy thing is, is that Paul and Silas felt this way even before they met those they would preach to on their missionary journey. Get this, he says, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you. That's incredible. As spiritual parents, they had an excitement and an eagerness for connection with those they hadn't even met yet and had yet to be saved. They had this confidence in the power of the gospel to change lives, to save people that would believe it. You can see this in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 23 through 26. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The glory belongs to God. The Apostle Paul brought so many to Christ following the Great Commission, but not for his glory, for the glory of God alone. And we need to pray and ask God to put this desire for evangelism and discipleship so deep in our hearts 
that we long to be with believers we haven't even met yet. And that we have so much love for Jesus that we're willing to give it all, to die for the sake of the gospel. Have you felt this way about sharing your faith? About sharing the gospel message? Have you felt this way about growing into spiritual parenthood where you actively disciple someone else? And are you willing to give your life for the calling that God has on you? If you are in Christ, you are called to be a fisher of men, a disciple maker. Not just on the weekends, but every day and everywhere you go. Following Christ is not something you put on your weekly schedule. It's following Christ's command to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them requires a willingness to prioritize it in every part of your life. Becoming spiritual parents, able to help others, it not only requires gentleness, but an eagerness to share your whole self. Be willing to share your story, your experiences, your baggage, along with your time, your knowledge of the word, your wisdom. As he continues on, we see another aspect of Paul and Silas' conduct as they shared the gospel in verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel, or to you, the gospel of God. He adds to this in 2 Thessalonians 3.8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but without, with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. They proclaimed the gospel of God, and they worked hard to support themselves. The next point is this. The spiritual parent is a sacrificial parent. A spiritual parent is a sacrificial parent. So Paul was a tent maker by trade. Not like camping tents. Think permanent outdoor live-in tents. He was used to difficult work for sure. And in their month or so of preaching and teaching in the city, they made it a point to support themselves, to help out. In reminding the church of their hard work and self-sufficiency, the Apostle Paul is encouraging them to do the same, to follow in his example. Now, don't get me wrong, they did have the right to ask for donations as a minister of the gospel. And Paul actually does this in, in his epistles. He asks for support. But you see, as missionaries sent to unreached people groups, Paul and Silas didn't want anything to stand in the way of someone hearing the gospel. And where does the Apostle Paul get this idea? Well, Jesus. In Matthew 10, as Jesus is giving authority to the 12 apostles and sending them out, he says this, You received without paying the gospel. Give without pay. You received without paying. Give without pay. Paul knew those who opposed the gospel would use anything to create a false narrative against them. You know, like fake news. Saying that those guys in town talking about Jesus... As the Messiah, they're like all the others. They just want your money. And this still goes on today, right? Christians can get lumped in with false teachers and false religions even that go door to door selling some kind of religious product that they're peddling. And on on TV, televangelists that say if you give to their ministry, God will bless you more with health and wealth. Ancient Thessalonians were mostly Hellenistic and worshipped various Greek, Roman, and Egyptian gods. They had lots of idols. They were used to giving money and animal sacrifices in order that their gods and goddesses would bless them and not curse them. 
The Apostle Paul didn't want the free message, the free gift of the gospel to be misinterpreted. This is why when we go on a mission trip, we raise our own support and we ask the church, our church, to support individuals and teams that we send out from here. This is also why Bentry gives a percentage of everything that's given to the work of missions. The gift of the gospel is a free gift. You can't earn it. The message is also free. You can't deserve it. You can't pay for it. It's like the air we breathe. Romans 5, 15 through 16. Paul says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And what is the free gift that Paul is talking about here? Romans 6.23. He says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift is eternal life. And eternal life cannot be bought. It can only be received as a free gift. If we are to share our lives in the truth of the gospel, we should do so freely. Our tithe, our gifts that we give to the church should be given to support the ministry of a church, equipping all generations to follow Christ and make disciples in his name. We don't give to get more blessings in this life. Although God might bless us, we give to be a blessing. Paul's toil and labor reflects the sacrificial ministry of Jesus that he has for us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in heaven, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the kind of wealth that spiritual parenthood builds up. Treasure in heaven. That's what we should do too. We should be building up treasure in heaven through discipleship. Let's continue on with verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. Again, the Apostle Paul is saying, you've seen with your own eyes that we were the real deal. Not only did they talk the talk, they walked the walk. Not just for people to see, but for God himself as witness. Later in in his letter, he says this, For we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. He's showing them to be like Jesus, holy, righteous, and blameless in their conduct, in their words and actions, is so important. Which is similar to what he says in chapter 1. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. What does it mean to be blameless? In his letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing the fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. When someone looks at your walk with Christ, what do they see? Is there spiritual wisdom and understanding? Are we studying? Are we meditating on the word of God daily? 
Is there a gentleness and a willingness to serve in the body of Christ sacrificially? Is there the fruit of the Spirit being produced in our lives that others can actually see? Or is there harshness? Is there a lack of empathy or care for others? Is there no desire to disciple others? Are we just okay coasting by? You see, the world is looking at Christ followers to see if they are the real deal. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. This is the point. The spiritual parent is an authentic parent. Spiritual parent is an authentic parent. Be authentic in your faith. Take ownership of your spiritual growth. This means you don't wait for a spiritual parent to find you. You seek one out right here at Bentry. Let's keep moving forward. Verse 11 and 12. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Here we return to the metaphor of spiritual parenthood. And we see this idea of walking worthy several times throughout the epistles. In Ephesians 4.1, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. In Philippians 1.27, he also says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Spiritual parents are like nurturing, gentle, and soft, like loving mothers. And they exhort, encourage, and charge their spiritual children like a loving father. Soft and strong like Charmin. Yeah. Here's our next note. You can write this down. The spiritual parent is a motivating parent. Motivating parent. In verse 12, the word charge in the Greek is like a summons to court. Think of it this way. You're a witness to the truth and you've been called to testify to it. A loving spiritual father not only exhorts, admonishes, and encourages, a loving spiritual father also challenges his children to help them grow in righteousness, to move forward in their walk with God. And sometimes a challenge meant to motivate can feel like what I affectionately call a kick in the pants. Sometimes the most loving thing a spiritual parent can do is speak the difficult to hear truth or address the elephant in the room. Here is one such challenge from the writer of Hebrews. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Another translation says lazy. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. Listen, if we aren't willing to speak truth, And if we aren't willing to motivate one another to grow in the faith, we're wasting our time. Another example of a charge or challenge is given from Moses to the Israelites as uh, he shares the Ten Commandments with them in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 through 7. You can read this along with me too. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This right here is what the Bentry core values are all about. This is the big why to everything we do here. 
And you can see through scripture that diligence in teaching scripture to your children and the discipling of others in the church, it needs structure, it needs intentionality, it needs organization. We need to have a plan in place to keep us focused. Let's look a couple more at a couple more charges or challenges from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you, don't have, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ, Jesus, through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. And one more, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You see, the spiritual parent is not just a mentor or a guide. It's not just a life coach. A spiritual parent sets the example of how they follow Christ and how they challenge others to do the same. They gently point out sin in their spiritual children. They challenge their spiritual children to put sin to death and they offer accountability They correct wrong thinking and false doctrine. Spiritual parents also offer hope in the midst of uncertainty and suffering. They offer a biblical perspective on life and death. And they always urge others to take the next step towards spiritual maturity, to press on, to not give up. Listen, there is an inherent risk involved when you open up your hearts to one another in discipleship. God's people will let you down at some point if they haven't done so yet. Both the spiritual parent and the adopted disciple still struggle with their old sin nature at war against the spirit that dwells within them. They struggle with their flesh and their desire, that its desires. Someone you're trying to help grow may reject biblical instruction and sound doctrine. And someone that has been your spiritual parent may have misled you or perhaps were misinformed. But don't let this stop you. Get back up. Try again. Find another parent. They're all imperfect. But find another one. Find another person to disciple, to adopt. Discipleship is the mechanism that God has ordained for us to grow up in the word. It's messy. It's difficult. Extremely difficult at times. But it's worth it. God uses messed up people to help us better reflect the image of Christ more and more until our last breath Or until he returns. So let's review our main points. Spiritual parent is a gentle parent. Full of loving kindness with those they disciple. The spiritual parent is an eager parent. Yearning to share the gospel and disciple others. The spiritual parent is a sacrificial parent. One who shares the gospel freely. Spiritual parent is an authentic parent. Seeking to live by Christ's example for others to follow. And lastly, the spiritual parent is a motivating parent, one who challenges and urges others towards spiritual maturity. Earlier, I said I'd share some ways that you can find a spiritual parent or become one here at Bentry, and being the executive I am, I can't help but share these practical things. Um, As I said before, D3 groups are the perfect place to connect with others in discipleship. And if you're a Bentry member, your shepherding elder can help as well. They can help you connect with others. 
Also, finding spiritual parents and finding someone to, to disciple just happened to be steps on the Bent Tree Discipleship Pathway. Trademark? Um, just kidding. It's not trademark. You can use it. Uh, go to benttreechurch.com slash pathway. Being real practical here. Under step two, you're going to see a link to find a spiritual parent. Under step 11, you'll see a link to connect with someone to disciple. We want to help you do this. But oh wait, there's more. As you leave today... Our guest services team are going to hand you a flyer with some family discipleship events taking place this summer for all ages. Now, you're welcome to invite anyone you want to these events, but know that they are primarily meant for equipping Bent Tree member families for the work of ministry, as well as connecting all the generations of our church body. Also, be on the lookout for some discipleship training groups starting up very soon. So to close, let me leave you with this challenge, this charge. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Not that you need to prove your worth to Christ. He's already taken your place on the cross. Walk in a manner worthy because Jesus is worthy. Jesus has called you by name. The King of kings, the Lord of lords has called you. And now he's calling you to follow him. Find a spiritual parent here at Bentry. Don't let your walk with Christ wither away. And for those that have grown a little in their faith, maybe it's time to adopt someone. Adopt someone in the faith to disciple. And remember, this is men with men, women with women, just to be clear. It may be time for you to adopt a spiritual child. And if you have an actual child at home, that's where you start. Begin intentionally and actively discipling your children before the world does it for you. Our teams are here to working hard every week to help equip you in this. So there's one part of the story that I shared at the start of our sermon about Malcolm and his climbing partner, Jim. After the rescue pilot grabs Malcolm from the side of the mountain, and as they swung from the helicopter thousands of feet in the air, the rescuer asked Malcolm, You know who I am? He lifts up his faceplate from his helmet so Malcolm can see. And Malcolm replies, It's Billy! So Billy, like Jim, like Paul, all of those characters in the story just so happened to be lifelong friends. Imagine that. Friends of Malcolm. And it's incredible how everything seemingly happened by coincidence. However, this... It's what happened long before the climb up Thunder Mountain that began, before the uh, climb began, that's more significant. You see, Malcolm had spent years building strong relationships with these guys. And it's these friends that loved him. They were really willing to risk their lives at every stage on the mountain to save their friend. We were created to live in fellowship with our other believers with all the messiness, the struggles, and the joys of actual parenthood. We all need an Apostle Paul, a spiritual parent, leading us up the mountain. And we also need a Timothy, a protege, a disciple, that we can help build up in the faith by following up in our footsteps. You are called to grow in your faith, not to give up when you fall, and to lean on fellow believers who point you to Jesus. I urge you to be an imitators of Christ who gave his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you for your word that every part of it is profitable for us for teaching, for learning more about you. Even in the seemingly insignificant parts, God, I thank you that uh, this message to share our lives, share the gospel of Jesus is shared with us, that you've given us new life in you. And God, I pray for those in the room that have yet to follow you. I pray that you would make them alive, bring them to life, God, that they would admit their sin, that they've fallen from your grace and that they need a savior. God, that they would turn to you, repent from their sin, turn away from sin and run to you, King Jesus. I pray that they do that right now. Father, as we worship and sing to you in song, we ask that we would have just a fire in our bones for, for the calling you have on our life. That we worship in spirit and, tr- and in truth every part of us. We give you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.